0: Welcome to the 24th episode of the Cranky Flyer Interview presented by Ontario International Airport. This week, I'm talking to the head of an airline you have never heard of. Even better, he has no interest in actually flying any airplanes. Who is this? It's Brad Beakley, CEO of Current Aviation. Keep listening and you'll learn about his plan to do things differently. But before that, I want to again thank Ontario International Airport, our presenting sponsor. ONT is excited about what 2021 has brought, including a host of new non-stop destinations. The airport has also implemented state-of-the-art measures to ensure the health and safety of all passengers. Ontario continues to zoom through this recovery, no pun intended. In October, the airport reached 98% of October 2019 passenger levels. And this Thanksgiving, the airport is estimating it'll be at 99%. Visit FlyOntario.com to learn more. All right, Brad. Well, thanks for talking to me about this. Uh, I will admit this kind of came out of left field when Andrea sent this to me. I did not know. Was this something that was under wraps for a little time uh, and you just came out with it or did I miss this?
1: Um, it's been under wraps. We, uh, you know, we saw an opportunity last year as we were trying to figure out what airlines might need consulting wise coming out of COVID. And then, you know, my my radar quickly kind of honed in on the regionals in particular, given where I thought the big airlines would be heading. And um, so we started working on it and thinking, you know, we'll just kind of keep it quiet until the time seems right and um, seems like the time's right now it's that
0: time uh so all right so let's let's i guess back up a little bit here and just have you explain the concept top level sure. uh, for people who who don't know what this is because i think most people don't know what this is so, sure. so let's start there
1: Sure. It is a little bit of a different animal and we can, um, you know, if you want, we can talk a little bit about how we came to the, uh, came to the idea, but essentially the idea is to uh, create an asset light airline. It's modeled very much like the hotel business. So, um, you know, Marriott typically wouldn't own most of the properties, if, if almost none. Um, but when you walk into a Marriott, you know exactly what you're going to get and the branding is solid and, you know, you're part of a, a big ecosystem as a Marriott operator. But Marriott does the branding and, and kind of manages the, the sales and technology and, and customer experience.
0: Unless it's a Sheraton and then I have no idea what I'm getting, but that's a whole different <laughs> issue.
1: <laughs> Take them a few years to get that all uh, uh, consistent.
0: I uh, you know don't I know but that's fine so all right so that that's the high level idea and and so I mean where I'm really curious is where the line gets drawn between you and the operator but it, maybe it does make sense to back up first and say how hey, you got here uh, since you kind of tease the audience here with this a little bit so let's uh, let's back up to that first
1: sure well um, you know of course like like everyone in travel uh, after a couple of months of pandemic lockdown. Uh, clearly, we were going to have something significant to deal with in the industry. And so, um, again, kind of looking at what our consulting business needed to do to, um, to uh, help, um, pretty quickly um, looking at what might happen in North America and, and looking at business travel trends, Um, If it were going to take a few years for business travel to return to 2019 levels, well, that creates a gigantic revenue problem, particularly for American Delta United. Um, And even if the volume comes back, you've still got a yield problem. And so kind of fast forward to what do those, those airlines do in financial financially difficult times and they'll have to restructure a bit. And what that typically means is they'll do what they do best, which is fly big airplanes into dense hubs and connect people all around the world and, and in an environment where that's less, um, uh, where they're focused on making the cost work for the revenue that's available. Um, my theory was, you know, they'll, we'll see some retrenchment into the big hubs and we'll see upgauging of aircraft accelerated. That's been happening over the last several years. And who's the odd man out in that environment. And it's typically whoever's flying smaller aircraft. And so we started looking at some of the regional operators, particularly in the 50 seat category. And I said, you know, I think these guys are going to have a problem. And, um, Sure enough, uh, now that that's at this point, it's kind of become the mantra. We've seen announcements where big airlines are dropping 50 seaters out of their fleets. Um, And um, it seemed like an environment where there were assets and people and uh, and cities that all needed service and things to do. And how could we how could we rapidly build something that would serve that need? And um, so then, you know, kind of looking at how regionals evolved over the last several years, we, we know that they essentially don't have a commercial function. They're most, most of them are not commercially capable. They're capacity purchase capacity suppliers to the, to the majors. And um, so the idea really was pretty simple. It was like, well, what if we just do everything that a major airline does for a smaller operator? and allow them to continue to focus on what they do best which is fly airplanes and do that efficiently and hire pilots and maintain aircraft and and we'll do everything that the mainline carrier would do for a regional which is branding customer experience technology reservation systems customer facing um uh, experience and policy and that sort of thing so you know, I, I mentioned the hotel model. Maybe another way to look at it would be it's a similar model to what exists today, except that current won't fly airplanes.
0: Right. Now, for capacity purchase agreements, the mainline carrier is also doing network planning, uh, revenue management, all of that. So is are you doing that as well as part of this?
1: Yes. Yeah. And so, and so the idea there would be to as efficiently as possible deploy these uh, these airplanes and these people into markets that make sense and that's when we started looking at the marketplace and you know, if you look at travel from even 2010 to 2019 it, it increased um, you know almost 25 percent more trips in 2019 versus 20, uh, 2010 and load factors had continued to rise. We've done some spill analysis, and you know, if you run various different models, Boeing spill model, for example, said 100 million plus passengers were spilled and didn't take a trip in 2019 just based on a lack of availability. And um, so taking a step back from that and looking at how airlines have evolved, and you've heard this from a few others as well, it seemed like point-to-point City pairs were where where we could more efficiently redeploy these assets post COVID. And so, um, what the model then allows, and we we're you know talking with a number of operators at this point, um, it allows any operator, small or large, to join the brand and supply capacity have that deployed across a broad network that would be planned and scheduled and managed like any other big airline and we've got a team of people that came from big airlines and small airlines um, across all different functions and and
0: but ultimately you're taking
1: the risk this is a capacity purchase agreement Um, we've got three different models there so the, the the answer is it depends um, we certainly can uh, can enter a capacity purchase agreement and we're looking at some of those. In some cases, we also are looking at a revenue share. Um, so it'd be risk risk and revenue share agreements. So, you know, call it a 75-25 split, take 75% of the revenue to run the airline and run to fly the planes and kind of hit the margins those operators need to hit. And 25% for us to do all the other things besides just live playing. And as a third model, and this is where I think it's intriguing when you look at some of the smaller boutique type operators around the country, or even in, in you know, even a, a private operator that's positioning flights. Um, we can load things up into our platform very easily and and put them into a schedule and run it through the distribution systems that we've set up and um, offer that a little bit more like a true franchise model. So it's just a fee for departure or, you know, a fee of some sort per departure, per seat, whatever that might look like. It depends on the operator.
0: Okay, so there's a lot to to digest on this. Uh, So how, how did, how does this work with an operator what is the investment required for them to do this right because you're going to have certain standards that you're setting presumably safety uh branding whatever it may be yeah how what is the hurdle like for an operator to get into this
1: Uh, that's where it, it looks a lot like the hotel business so there will be brand standards, uniforms, um, things like that. Um, essentially, the branding-related things, the brand will supply in most cases. So if it's, uh, it, it, you know, if it's painting the aircraft, for example, or um, branded onboard airport signage, uh, kind of above the wing things that happen at the airport, um, we would manage that. If it's involving you know, simply operating the aircraft, then that would be on the operator to do that. Um, Really, in most cases, it's a pretty low, uh, pretty low financial burden for an operator to join.
0: Okay. I mean, it does sound like there's a fair bit of risk that you're taking on here. Originally, I had thought that, this was this was more just well if the operators are going to fly anyway then might as well fly under our brand and we can sell it in a res system and, and do that but no this is this is much more you're taking on risk
1: yeah I, I think it's a lot less risky than a traditional model you know we're not we're not going out and and, and long-term leasing aircraft or um, or purchasing aircraft or um stuck with a an asset for the long haul it would be a traditional traditional model it's really looking at more of the asset light type model where you can enable operators really to stay a little bit smaller Uh, we you know i think i think we could agree that a a smaller organization tends to be a little more um easy to manage costs and, and drive things but the revenue generation of the big organization is what we what we bring to the table from that perspective so it's, uh, you know, it's not as, as risk-free maybe as a pure franchise, but certainly not risk at the level of starting an airline from scratch, lock, stock, and barrel.
0: Right, because you don't have the, the fixed costs. You you just, right. but you do take, I mean, depending on how the agreements are structured, I guess, with yeah. the, the capacity purchase. Uh, but one of the problems that I foresee here, which I'm curious how you're addressing this, Assets aren't the issue necessarily. Uh, you look at United and what they've been talking about. They have plenty of 50 seaters more than they want. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have pilots. The regionals don't have pilots to fly these things. So how are you going to get around that when it's not the asset that's the issue?
1: You, you know, pil- pilots, I think, are going to be an issue for for everyone. Um, there's a lot of noise about it right now because of the recent disruptions and kind of talk around difficulty in hiring. I think in the immediate term, it's actually not as big an issue as as it's kind of being built up to be. I think if you really dig into current issues in the industry, a lot of that's really involving senior people that were Czech airmen are retired. And so, you know, some of the airlines don't have the either training capacity or the Czech airmen or people kind of in the right places, given how their networks were shocked into a, a different environment. Um, but it certainly is something that we would want to think about. Um, one of the things that that I think is is a potential benefit to our operators that sign up with us is the ability as a larger group or as a family of operators to go work with a flight school and provide different options, different jobs for our operators that will be spread around the country and and actually um, globally, which, you know, the other thing that that is uh, nice about the model is we can deploy it in one, one version in North America. We could do something else in Latin America, other theaters. And we are actually talking to a couple of other operators in non America, uh, North or South America theaters. Okay. All
0: right, so let's say that uh Mesa has a bunch of airplanes sitting around, which they do. <laughs> um you know, is is that someone you talk to like how, is this does everyone have to be a part 121 operator? How are you how are you broadening your scope of who you'd work with on this?
1: Um, you know, that's the, the regulatory side for the non-121s is something that we have to navigate carefully through. Uh, right now, the operators we're talking to and we'll launch with 121 operators, so that, that's not really an issue. Um, but, these
0: are 50-seaters, you said, initially, or is it smaller than that as well?
1: um right now 50 seat is the smaller uh smallest gauge that we're looking at um oh, okay so but go higher. um but our, our really our focus is markets that would support a smaller than 100 seat gauge aircraft um it's kind of an untapped market at this point because all of those planes serve hubs for the most part and um it, it, you know, with a, tr- a more traditional service pattern, you can't really be in an LCC with uh, an Embraer 145, for example, uh, because the chasm's high, but you can certainly get a very low trip cost that can't be matched with any other aircraft, um, uh, with larger aircraft. So it just, there's, you know, we've identified uh, about 400 potential markets, point to point in the U.S. alone that could support one to three flights a day on a 50 to 75 seat aircraft. And so that's really the sweet spot that we see is the big opportunity and for the most part untapped.
0: Okay. So this is bigger than I was thinking. This is bigger gauge. I mean, Um, so you're not looking at the nine seaters and these guys, this is a, this is 50 to 75 and it's, it's not a low cost model because on a per seat basis, you can't, you can't. That's right. That, right. That's but, right. So um so it's a it's a it's in markets that don't have the service today, you think there's an opportunity. I mean, how how does this compare to something like it's been gone for a while, I guess, I think, but one jet you know, they had much smaller aircraft, but their idea was, all right, we're going to serve these underserved markets. I mean, I, that's everyone's idea is we're going to serve these underserved markets. Um, so, you know, how, how does this work in, in that frame that everyone is trying to find these kind of markets?
1: You know, I, I think COVID sort of created a window of opportunity here that made it, that, that, that makes it possible to do this now. Whereas you couldn't do it as well in the past, um, and there's a number of things that come together to to make that uh, make that a reality. One of them is just growth and demand. So you know, even if you were doing this five years ago, certainly ten years ago, uh, there was a lot more excess capacity. There was a lot um, there were a lot more choices. In fact, especially pre-merger with uh, with all the big airlines um but there there just wasn't quite the demand there um the other thing that's changed dramatically is the the uh, the cost to operate those aircraft has changed with covid um you know 50 seat aircraft's not really anything most are in love with these days so there are plenty of them available at lease rates that um, might be a fraction of what they would have been even a few years ago and certainly you know 10 years ago 15 years ago
0: just got to make sure you can find some engines
1: <laughs> yeah and you know there's some good models for that as well i mean look at how Allegiant was able to do quite well as they moved out with md80s when everyone was shedding those out as fast as they could and i think the environment in the 50 seater um, market right now is is very similar
0: what you're looking to raise 40 million dollars is that what it was yes um but you don't need to be an you don't need to be a certificated carrier or anything. So this should be
1: yeah. Probably I,
0: mean, right. I see someone trying to raise forty million dollars and I just laugh and say, okay, we'll see when that happens. Yeah. But in this case, you don't have to get you don't have to go through those hoops. So, um, you know, the forty million is the upstart, and then you can go right. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, and that's a really good example of uh, the value and and what I think you know, we're kind of bringing this into the airline space where it hasn't quite been done like this before. Um, You know, the the investment required is focused on just the commercial things. Whereas if you look at at recent new airlines, for example, they've raised 120, 150, 200, $250 million to buy airplanes and and mostly um, buy airplanes, get certification. The other thing that's a bit different here, and this is, it's it's a bit of the COVID opportunity, is, um, you know, it takes a long time to start an airline. And if you talk to, you know, the Breeze folks, or you talk to Avelo, they've been working on those projects for at least five years. And that's fundraising and everything else involved. And that whole time, they've got salaries that they're paying. The investor comes to the table to fund something like that, you know, you're, you're paying for a lot of work to be done to get that set up. What we bring to the table today is virtually launch-ready commercial platforms. So if we've got operators with planes and certificates, uh, we can get them in the air in, in almost no time. You know, the time it takes to paint a plane and get it, get it ready to go in our branding and um, and put it in the market.
0: Okay, so let, let's talk about the, the network or i mean when when do you expect to have more announcements on this? Obviously you have to finish raising the money, but
1: yeah and, don't tell me um you know I, I think we'll have more in in terms of cities and and network in the uh, in the coming weeks um we're we're staying cautious on releasing some of that information until we're um until we've got the funding to get us over the the launch line in pocket, um, I think we're getting pretty close on that front. So I would think within the next month, uh, to six weeks for sure, we'll be able to, to, um, announce some, some, uh, or a list of potential cities. Um, you know, and we'll be careful with those where, where we've got, like I said, there's, there's 400 potential markets. There are a couple of dozen that almost they model out as almost a no brainer. Of course you'd want to fly that it, it, the demand is there. There's observed demand there, um, that is connecting on through hubs today on very short nonstop stage link type trips. So you're not going to give me anything. (laughs) Um, maybe I'll give you a little bit more of a hint. Um, all right. think Southwest Airlines network but tuned for the 50 to 75 seat aircraft.
0: So ExpressJet 2008.
1: Not quite ExpressJet 2008, but say okay. similar to that.
0: Okay. All right, so that's what we'll expect to see and I will find out in 6 weeks. I'm holding you to that.
1: Sounds good? <laughs> Sounds good
0: so for the uh the branding work i mean all this are you are you bringing people in uh, experts on this i mean it's still a new airline brand you may not be flying airplanes but you still have to somehow get known in the market and build this up so how, yeah. how are you approaching that
1: yeah we've got we've got a great team so um you know i'll, I'll exclude myself from that comment and um you know we've we've got guys like john Wixson who uh, uh you know, ran the network planning consulting practice at Sabre Airline Solutions. Before that, he was head of international network planning uh, analysis at Delta. Um, we've got a guy like Michael um, uh, Michael Warnkin, who was uh, senior level in MLT vacations. He was running the vacations and the commercial, uh, some of the commercial functions at Sun Country and, um, and has been consulting, um, for a couple of years as well. Um, Lori Kirkpatrick, our CTO, um, was managing, uh, she was actually the head of Expedia's partner solutions development team most recently before she joined us. And um, Manolo Centeno, longtime ops guide from Continental originally, um, left United right after the merger, worked at Sabre, and has a lot of experience. He's a pilot. Knows operations inside and out, so we've got a good, solid leadership team, and we've got about a dozen more people that have come out of hotel companies, um, uh, other airlines, and other travel uh, distribution partners that are working on putting the whole thing together. So it's a it's a blue chip team, and I'm super proud of of them all.
0: So, you how many people do you have right now?
1: Um, We've got about 18 people working almost full time
0: at this oh, well. point. Yeah, you have been in stealth mode then. Usually yeah. You hear something about that.
1: Usually you have to, you're, you're out beating the bushes trying to hire the kind of talent that we've been able to pick up. And that's, again, it's an opportunity created out of the chaos of the pandemic where lots of incredibly talented people have left travel companies globally and, you know, a lot of them, when you bring an idea like this, I mean, you're an airline guy, I'm an airline guy. Everybody wants to start an airline. But when you get a business plan together and you kind of lay that out in front of people who really know this stuff and they jump on board and contribute to the cause, that, you know, analysis aside, every, every the idea aside, the ability to present this plan to the kind of people that we have that will be managing this um, and have them say, sign me up and we'll do this until the payday comes is, uh, you know, make me feel pretty good. Makes me feel great about our, our chances.
0: All right. Well, six weeks, <laughs> profitable <laughs> in six weeks, right? That's the, no, no, maybe not.
1: Profitable. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about profitable, but, um, but I would say much more likely than, um, a traditional startup again. Um, I think we've we've been very bottom-up in this concept in terms of the market analysis. We've got people who know how to do this and have helped airlines around the world figure out where to fly what kinds of planes. Um, so, you know, our business plan is backed by factual data, the same sorts of processes that any airline, big or small, would use to, to adjust their schedule and, and, and build their network. Um, And, you know, I would say maybe, uh, unlike some of what we've seen more recently with some of the startups, we're not really expecting to hit the market and say, you know, we're going to try a whole bunch of stuff and see what sticks. Uh, We have a very specific and defined plan and a very specific un or underserved market segment. And, um, and again, the, The historical demand tells you there's more than enough demand for us to be quite successful for at least 50 to 75 airplanes, maybe, um, a lot more.
0: Is, uh, is the price of oil scaring you yet?
1: Um, it does, uh, you know, price of oil is, is problematic. Um, I would say, however, um, the point to point model is inherently more efficient than others and so the price of oil may exponentially hurt other some of some other carriers more than us now i do say that um, at the same time i would also say in most of the places that we're looking to fly that seem obvious i don't think we're going to ruffle any feathers uh you know it's it's there's there's a lot of opportunity in smaller cities um and again it's backed by some traditional analysis, but we've also done a lot of analysis of things like you know where what what does the the new super commuter look like and how does that change what needs to exist in the marketplace? And you know I even look back again, my, my airline geek self look at airline networks from 25, 30, 35 years ago. they're pretty point to point. And even if you look at failed hubs that are no longer there, there's a lot of demand. that that feed into a lot of cities that lost hub status. And it makes no sense for other airlines to serve those cities unless they're specifically going to feed their hub.
0: Well, and I guess the the hard part is, you know, you can probably fill a plane on a Friday afternoon, but can you fill a plane on a Wednesday at noon? But I guess if there's no ownership cost, then you're back toward the Allegiant-style model of you can have that flexibility and just sit it.
1: Yeah, and you know, the, the operators have to make money too and and one of the differences here versus almost every new airline that's come along in the last 15 years is that, you know, we're, we're not proposing an LCC type model, we're proposing a product that's easy, that's customer friendly, the mantra is is kind of, um, if, the, if a rational customer thinks that something needs to be part of what they're paying for in the ticket, then let's make sure that's included. So again, it looks um, you know, very similar to, I, I would say, a Southwest type of, of product. And we're talking about relatively short-haul flights as well. And, if the, um, and with the other key being we need really to be able to support two to three flights a day because I think service pattern is really important. We want markets that are big enough two or three flights a day so that you get a morning out an afternoon back you can kind of serve all customer segments not just price sensitive um but also not focused on i've got to have corporate to survive
0: that's a that's a lot of flights i mean it's more than the you know two three a week uh that you'll see with most airlines that are trying to get started these days Um, yeah so will be interesting to watch well let's uh I I keep me on the list here. I want to hear when the the routes come out and the partners and and all this kind of stuff. I'm I'm very curious to see how it goes.
1: Sounds good. Well, I appreciate the time. It's good to, good to chat.
0: And that was the end of the interview. So will it work? Eh, Maybe we should talk about this again in six weeks. Thanks again to our presenting sponsor, Ontario international airport, If you'd like to give feedback on this podcast or become a sponsor, send a note to cf at crankyflyer.com. That's it for this episode. Until next time.